Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I'm your host, Antoine Walter, and in today's episode, I can't tell you how pleased I am to welcome Gilad Yogev as my guest. Gilad is product manager in charge of the MABR product line at Fluence, a global leader in decentralized water and wastewater treatment solutions. MABR actually stands for Membrane Aerated Biofilm Reactor, and you'll see in a short while that it's much more than an MBR with a twist. You'll see that Gilad will actually kick off our deep dive with some housekeeping. No, MABR is not a typo, this episode is not about MBRs or MBBRs, and actually it might simply be the wastewater treatment technology of the 2020s. He'll tell us how membranes are used in this technology and how it revolutionizes the way air is introduced into wastewater. Gilad will also share us the surprising roots of MABRs and guide us through their two main applications, upgrading existing plants and solving pressing wastewater treatment issues on the market's distributed side. He'll also have to quickly answer the MBR versus MABR question because of stupid me. Still, we also cover much more exciting topics such as the go-to market for new technology, wastewater reuse, and we even scratched a bit the surface of the rise of decentralized treatments. Now, before letting our sponsor share his word, I'd like to leverage what the pandemic has taught us. If the transmission factor goes above one, then things go viral. Let's use that rule for the better. If you like the podcast, then share it with two of your peers or friends, grab their phones, subscribe them to the pod, or come say thank you to Gilad for sharing his passion under our weekly infographic post on LinkedIn. That way, we all drive water awareness a bit forward, and I'll be able to keep convincing guests like Gilad to share their knowledge with all of us. And that's actually up right after this. You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com. So hi, Gilad. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Anthony. I heard you're based in a very nice place right now, um, pretty far from cold Europe. Um, can we start with a postcard? Just describe me what's surrounding you and where you're sitting right now. <laughs> Great. So I am speaking from Israel. In my uh, home office, I live in a small village on a mountain in the Western Galilee. The weather is pretty nice outside, some 20-something uh, Celsius. A somewhat mild winter, right, compared to what you're uh, experiencing in Europe now. And uh, we're a little off the Mediterranean coast. And actually, a nice part to have uh, of my view, I'm looking at a local wastewater treatment plant that I can see from my window. <laughs> so <laughs> I was warned when I bought the house that we're near a wastewater treatment plant. And I basically said, well, I'm an environmental engineer. That, that doesn't scare me. So basically, you have a reminder of your duty every day you look through the window. That's a nice point. Yeah. You just mentioned you're an environmental engineer. That's a good start, actually. You know, I am an environmental engineer myself. And surprisingly, I would say we are not a majority in this industry. And uh, sometimes I have some students or 
people which are in the process of becoming an environmental engineer, we, who asked me what actually this industry looks like and what is a typical path inside this industry. And I was thinking maybe you would have something to tell us here and probably your path can be a good example. So let's start by that. What's your path in this water industry? Great. So I'm indeed an environmental engineer. I graduated from the Technion, the Israeli Institute of Technology. And as a matter of fact, environmental engineering is a relatively new department and profession in Israel. It's nearly 20 years old as environmental engineering. Of you know, Of course, it did exist uh, before then, but it wasn't called uh, environmental engineering specifically. So it's a relatively new uh, profession and study in Israel, at least, and it's always in, uh, consistently uh, growing. There's a growing need for environmental engineers, and the profession is already well known, of course, in, in the industry here. But that wasn't the case when I started out my studies. So what the um, graduates basically said is that if you're an environmental engineer, you have to search for other titles, such as process engineer or biotechnology or other professions in order to find a job. And by the time I graduated, the situation was, was different and the profession of environmental engineering actually got more recognition out there in the market. So it's constantly, as I said, growing. And well, why I chose to be environmental engineer is just due to the reason that I was always an environmental enthusiast. I grew up in the 80s and 90s where environmental awareness was just starting to go mainstream. I was in the youth organization, climbing mountains all over Israel and advocating for these uh, green issues and environmental initiatives. So I always had environment in the back of my mind and in my heart, and that really led me to choose a profession that focuses on doing good to our environment. And how do you define yourself today? Still environmental engineer, or did you switch to process engineer or system engineer? Right. So the profession is environmental engineer. That's my education. Uh, that's my profession. But my role is a product manager. And you sort of deviate uh, right, after, right after you graduate. The title becomes somewhat uh, insignificant. So it's, it's your job description that defines you. And actually, I, I started out after graduating as a process engineer in a small startup company doing algae-based wastewater treatment. Lots of Field work, lots of connecting pipes, installing pumps, designing pilot systems, analyzing results, lab tests. It was so really hands-on from the beginning. Yes, a very versatile and hands-on, as you said. It was like we in Israel like to use army terms. So it was like base training for, <laughs> for engineering. And actually, that's if there are any students listening to us, this is something that I definitely recommend any student or new graduate to do. Get out there get your hands dirty, install some pumps, do some lab tests, and that's crucial experience for your future engineering career. Very good insight, actually. And then from your startup, you moved to Fluent, which is actually your company today, which is a company which has a wonderful marketing. If you look at uh, the websites, the content, the case studies, so much. But I'd like to hear you describe it from inside. How would you pitch us Fluent today? Okay, so, well, first, um, I moved to Fluence some two years after uh, starting out with that startup company and started as a sales engineer. So if the field is the base training for a process engineer, then definitely the sales department is the base training for a product manager. 
that's what I am today. So I started out as a sales engineer, preparing proposals and having to need to pick up, quickly pick up the technology and pitch it to clients, uh, put together uh, price offerings, work with our global teams. So uh, Fluence is a global company and had to uh, um, deliver and assist our teams from China to the US throughout the globe with their uh, proposals on MABR. So it was sort of being a global MABR expert from the start. Your field of expertise started with the MABRs straight away. Yes. So MABR is Fluence's primary wastewater treatment technology. It was described and planned to be that way. It's an innovative technology that has a big potential in the market. And every sales engineer here in Fluence on the wastewater side of uh, planning starts out with MABR. So in short about Fluence, Fluence is a global water and wastewater treatment company and was founded in uh, 2017. It was a merger between MFC which was an Israeli startup company founded by Ronan Schechter and Eitan Levy. And the second side of the merger was RWL Water, which was Ron Lauder's water company. That merger brought in many local offices, which previously belonged to RWL. And each one actually specialized in a certain aspect of water and wastewater treatment. MFC, which was based in Israel, brought a commercialized MABR product and that was a complementary or and, and actually turned out to be the main wastewater treatment solution that Fluence provides. And altogether, the merger gave us really a wide portfolio of water and wastewater treatment technologies from surface aerators through waste or energy, industrial wastewater treatment, desal, surface water, brackish water treatment, and, and wastewater treatment, of course, with MABR. We're going to dive a bit deeper in the MABR just, just in a minute. But just before I have a last question, you mentioned that you were preparing some proposal. And I think that's a job which is kind of misunderstood sometimes in this water industry. Because making a proposal isn't actually taking one MBR, uh, MABR off the shelf and showing at the price tag and writing that price tag on a paper and sending out that paper. There's a bit of engineering involved. So really in one minute, can you describe us how you prepare a proposal? Right. So as you said, wastewater treatment, what I like about it is that it's versatile. It's interesting. It's different. You know, each opportunity is different from the previous one. There are no two identical solutions. And there are also sometimes several solutions for the same problem. So it's a world of design and imagination in the engineering process. And, and that's what I really like about wastewater treatment and what brings my passion to the profession. So when we prepare a proposal, we gather uh, initial information about the opportunity, the water characteristics, the required treatment degree, and then we get into using our uh, internal design tools. We have several internal design tools in order to evaluate the amount or the area of MABR needed for that treatment. And then it's basically a game or a process in balancing commercial needs and technical needs. So you have to provide the most cost-effective solution that will work, right? That will provide the required uh, degree of treatment and bring you a happy customer. So that's the art of proposal preparing. And 
Actually, what we like to say to all new sales engineers is that when you prepare a budgetary proposal, in 95% of the cases, that proposal is going to serve as a base for the contract. So it's absolutely important to be accurate and to provide the best solution you can and to really treat that initial budgetary proposal as something that will be a contract and a project at the end of the road. Actually, you, you said it in the beginning, but this uh, sales in engineering role is really at the border between pure sales and pure technical aspects. So you're really in between, you're, you're, you're that link between those two words. And it can be really challenging because you really have to build something which makes sense technically, but who also answers the, the problematics of the customer to an economical point of view where he can also imagine building it one day. So it's a fascinating thing, which I would like to deep dive one day, but not today, actually, because we have another topic for today. But really, again, I think we, we have to make that deep dive one day. I, I mean, I, I've been through these steps myself and sales engineering is really, I guess, the part of my career where I, I learned the most. But let me stop sidetracking you here. Our deep dive today <laughs> is on the MABRs, which you addressed already a couple of times. And to be fully transparent and honest with you, the first time ever in my life where I read the word MABR, I thought these guys just made a typo. Whether they were trying to talk about MBR, so membrane bioreactor, or they were trying to talk about MBBR, so moving bed bioreactors, but MABR isn't a thing. I mean, it cannot be anything else than, than a typo. And then I found out that, no, it's not a typo. It actually exists. But to make really that very long introduction short, can you explain us what an MABR actually is? We get that a lot. MBBR, MBR, MBAR. Uh, <laughs> we get a lot of people confused on the letters. And, you know, we, we have such a small portfolio of letters in ways for the treatment, right? But well, we have a whole pitch on what a membrane aeration process is compared to a membrane filtration process, and, and that's maybe the most confusing part when you hear MABR the first time. But basically, MABR, in short, is a wastewater treatment technology that revolutionizes the way air is introduced to wastewater. Okay. It's an attached growth process. It's based on biofilm. But unlike other biofilm-based processes, the biofilm gets its oxygen through a membrane and not directly from the wastewater. You can think of it as a lung, that you breathe air into your lungs. Your lungs, serving as a membrane, right? they diffuse the air out to your bloodstream, and your bloodstream carries the oxygen to the cells wherever it's needed to be used. So it's a revolutionary way and a different concept of introducing air in a molecular level into the wastewater itself. So MABR is membrane aerated bioreactor. Membrane aerated biofilm reactor, exactly. Biofilm reactor. You mentioned the lung analogy. Is it the inspiration for the MABR or how did they first start? What was the first iteration of an MABR? So a bit of history here. One of the first researchers to work on MABRs was Professor Bruce Rittman from Arizona State University. He actually didn't call it MABR, but he called it MBFR, a membrane biofilm reactor. And an interesting paper from 2007 showed an MBFR using not oxygen, but hydrogen, actually, which was used to reduce nitrate to nitrogen gas. It's called hydrogenotrophic denitrification. And 
his PhD student, Rob Nirenberg, which is today very well known in the MEBR world, was the first one to propose the IFAS configuration. And actually, the term MABR, Membrane Aerated Biofilm Reactor, was first suggested by Oyen Cassie from UCD. There were other researchers like Mike Simmons and Keith Brindle that wrote about bubble aceration, uh, nitrification in the mid-90s. And both of them used pure oxygen for the process, which we know today that is pretty costly for wastewater treatment plants, but that was sort of a bench scale research uh, using pure oxygen and testing the uh, molecular diffusion into the wastewater. But actually how we started out with MABR at Fluence is an interesting story. So before becoming Fluence, MABR was a technology provided by MFC, uh, an Israeli startup company. And the letters MFC, they stand for microbial fuel cell. Well, you're going to ask yourself what what does microbial fuel cell have to do with MABR? So MFC was developing those MFCs, those microbial fuel cells, as the main business of the company until around 2016. And those MFCs, they had oxygen permeable cathodes. And MFC was actually searching for uh, cost reduction and lower cost treatment systems. And they started stripping off the electrodes and, and circuitry, and they got left with a membrane inside a cell. And after finding that concept, we actually treated the wastewater pretty efficiently. They uh, developed the first generation of MVR called Sabre. And then the focus sort of shifted from MFCs to MABRs. So after some piloting and testing, they sold the first commercial plant in the U.S. Uh, Virgin Islands. And later down the road, MFC reversed the direction air was introduced to the wastewater and developed containerized and concrete solutions. So basically, MABR, if to rely here on, on, on John Lennon, right? we sometimes joke about the MFC times and, and spin off that famous quote, MABR is what happened while we were busy making microbial fuel cells. <laughs> so basically, the actual portfolio of MABRs you have is a pivot from that microbial fuel cells, which is Interesting, but there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. So let me just go a bit, a couple of steps back. You mentioned that in the first bench scale tests, oxygen was used instead of air, which is not very effective in terms of cost. But if you compare to the traditional aerated bioreactors that you find in wastewater, some of them are also aerated with, with oxygen, sometimes oxygen powered and produced on site. And the reason for that is that if you have less space uh, or if you have really difficult compound to treat, sometimes you need a bit more oxygen power. Is that also a thing in MABRs or is it really always with air? Okay, so in most municipal wastewater treatment systems, the MABR is going to have air flowing through it. But there are industrial applications and special cases where oxygen pure oxygen can make sense. And as a matter of fact, you can, you know, oxygen isn't the only gas that can pass through a void, right? So you can use other gases, as um, I noted before, um, hydrogen was used to uh, do a denitrification. So a lot of potential applications exist with MABR. And that research, that area of, of research is sort of uh, developing in terms of MABR research. So there's a huge potential. 
You mentioned the, the hydrogen, which was the original idea, which is a very interesting idea because of this denitrification aspect. Is it still in use today or was it kind of killed like, like a good idea? Uh, sounds good, doesn't work. Well, well not to my, uh, I, I don't think it has a commercial use today. Most of the applications, as I said, for MABR today are municipal wastewater treatment. There are other applications just starting out, such as uh, side stream ammonia treatment for high ammonia-containing streams, sort of oxidizing the ammonia to nitrate and nitrate. But that's sort of, a, um, I guess, a side stream in <laughs> most MABR processes. The majority of applications today, the commercial applications, as I said, are in municipal wastewater treatment and plant upgrades. So actually, in these municipal wastewater treatments, where does the MABR integrate within the treatment train? What do you put before? What do you put after? And then we can have a look at what the MABR is exactly treating. But let's start with the treatment train itself. What's the pre-treatment to an MABR? Okay, so MABR, just because of the structure, and I haven't really gone into the structure deeply, so maybe it's the time to, to speak a bit, a bit about the structure. Yep, of course. MABR is basically a membrane, whether a hollow fiber membrane in case of other uh, suppliers of MABR or Fluence's flat sheet membrane. The membrane is basically... Wait, just for, for the stupid, uh, I told you I'm the stupid here. Flat sheet, hollow fiber, can you just explain the difference in a couple of words? Yeah, yeah. You are not stupid. You're asking great questions. Uh, flat sheet is, as the term uh, implies, a flat sheet membrane, a sort of a piece of paper, right? A sheet of membrane. Uh, we, Fluence, we uh, design it to be spirally wound, and it's actually a double layer, so it's like an envelope. And hollow fiber, they resemble some M MBR setups. It's basically a long uh, cord of a hollow fiber filament. You can call it a filament. So you bundle some of those together and scale up until you get a module, a treatment module. So that's the, basically the difference between the hollow fiber and the flat sheet. Yeah. So the membrane envelope, as I said, is what Fluence provides, the uh, flat sheet MABR. We wound that membrane envelope around a core and you have you basically what you get is two distinct areas you have inside the membrane you have air flowing from one side to the other side going in from an air blower and venting out to the environment so you don't have to overcome any water pressure what you have is air flowing freely through a void inside the membrane envelope and on the outer side of the membrane itself you have wastewater, right? This whole module is, of course, submerged inside the wastewater. So there's wastewater flowing through the coils of the membrane of the MABR module. And basically what you get is a dry side and a wet side. The wet side has biofilm growing on it, and the dry side has, has air flowing through it. And oxygen diffuses from the dry side to the wet side, and that's the drive of the whole process and the great thing about MABR. So basically, this biofilm is fed on one end by this air flowing from the membrane and on the other end by the, the nutrients in the wastewater. And there the magic happens. The nutrients get removed from the wastewater and your biofilm is doing the job thanks to the 
membrane. It's doing the job, and more than that, it's doing a great job because in most <laughs> biofilm, in most biofilm systems, in BBR, for instance, or attached growth systems, you have a biofilm that is getting its substrate, right, ammonia or BOD or whatever the substrate is, and its oxygen, its electron acceptor, from the same direction. That's called co-diffusion, right? They both diffuse together, and when you look at the inner part of the biofilm, the very bottom, the very base of the biofilm, it's essentially very inactive or dead, as you say in um, biofilm terminology sometimes. So mm -hmm. MABR, what it does is provide the oxygen and the substrate from separate sides, and that's called counter-diffusion. And what that does is, first, it provides very high reaction rates because the concentration is high on both sides of the process, and it forces the biofilm to be very thin and, and fine, and it's almost entirely active. So it's a very fine and a very active biofilm getting getting the good stuff from each side, right? Oxygen is, is provided where it is needed, where you have ammonia diffusing in, into the inner layer of the biofilm and oxygen coming from the membrane, and nitrate diffuses out to the bulk wastewater where oxygen is in absence because the basin is in anoxic conditions, and there you have a high BOD level, which allows denitrification to happen. So you're getting those two processes on both sides of the biofilm at very high rates, and each process has the ideal conditions for it to happen. That's very clear on the way it works on the structure itself. So coming back to my question, in terms of treatment trains, where would you put a, an MMA? Oh, sorry, an MABR? <laughs> <laughs> MABR, yes. You have to practice it. <laughs> um, Not yet used to it. <laughs> So MABR comes at the very beginning of the process where the concentrations of nitrogen are the highest and mm -hmm. you have a high BOD and COD level as well. And that allows you to have denitrification. And all in all, what you essentially do is add MABR modules or MABR membrane area to an anoxic basin. And what you get in that process is you get nitrification and denitrification happening in one basin and an added total nitrogen removal capacity where you didn't have it before. So traditionally, MABR is placed in the very beginning of the process right after the pretreatment where you have the highest concentrations available. So you mentioned high concentrations, but you also say it's suited for municipal wastewater treatment. What about industrial wastewater treatment? Do you have some limits in terms of loads that are possible to handle with an MABR? Okay, so MABR is a champion in nutrient removal, in nitrogen removal, total nitrogen or ammonia removal. And I guess the limitation or the challenge is where BOD is more significant than nitrogen or nitrogen isn't required at all. There is theoretically a upper limit on the nitrogen concentration that the bacteria can tolerate, but high nitrogen containing streams that have a high BOD load, but not high enough to, you know, to size a system according to it. So those streams can be really efficiently treated by MABR, for instance, fertilizer plant effluents, some 
anaerobic digestion effluent from uh, food and beverage plants, for instance, where you have, you know, most of the COD and BOD is removed in the anaerobic digester, but what remains is the nitrogen. And you're going to have to treat that nitrogen before you discharge to the environment or to any other reuse source. So those are some applications, industrial applications, that maybe can come in handy. I'm looking at the limits, you know, because I'm always suspicious uh, when, when I see things which seems to be too good to be true. So it's always good to see that there is an area where it's really, really awesome and other areas where, of course, it's still water and there's no one size fits all. So thanks for this precision. I get a bit better where where the MABR is at home and where there's a limitation, which is, again, a good sign of transparency and which is interesting to see that there's a limit. If not, we're just washing whiter than white and doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you know, if it was the best technology in the world, right, it would have been discovered centuries ago and would dominate the industry. You can't be the best in every turf always. You have to know your limits. <laughs> Absolutely. You mentioned Soubre, which was first introduced by MFC, if I got it right, which is one way to use your MABRs. And in that case, you just revamp, you have the ability of revamp existing biological plants and increase their, their treatment rate. How does that work? Or first, did I get it roughly right? <laughs> yes, yes, you got it. You got it right. Soubre is the submerged MABR configuration, submerged inside uh, concrete basins. And Espiral is the brand for containerized MABR. So Subre, if we're speaking about submerged concrete solutions, is a solution for both new or existing plants, upgrades. And basically, it's an MABR module that's installed, as I said, in the very beginning of the plant in the in an anoxic basin, where you typically don't have any nitrification happening. I'll give an example of uh, one of our um, revamps, one of our uh, retrofits that happened in Israel in a 6.5 MLD plant. We were able to upgrade the capacity to 10.5. We're actually executing the second phase nowadays. So What we essentially did, it's an A2O plant having an anaerobic, anoxic, and large aerobic basin and internal recirculation. So what we did with Subre is retrofitted the existing anoxic basins with MABR modules, and we were able to add around 20 to 25% of total nitrogen removal capacity to the plant itself. And what that does First of all, it allows you to operate your aerobic basin in a lower airflow and save on energy. It gives you process resilience because you are treating a larger load of nitrogen than you would have treated if not installing MABR. And um, another nice adder on, on energy savings is that you cancel the internal recirculation that you typically have in A2O plants because you have to recirculate those nitrates back to the anoxic basin, whereas when you install MBBR, you have nitrification and denitrification happening in the same basin. So you have a capacity increase overall of roughly 40% and with 20 to 25% increase on the denitrification capacity, you have less energy, less recirculation, so you do more with less. How is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> well, the 40% is a target capacity for the second phase. So that's going to be uh, proven uh, after we upgrade the second line. Well, doing more with less is a very nice um, takeaway for MABR because you're 
adding nitrification and denitrification to areas where they just didn't happen before in an anoxic basin. And the nice thing about actually about the denitrification side is that you are using carbon in a much more efficient way, right? In a typical plant, you're going to have to add carbon to the anoxic basin because most of it is being consumed in the aerobic basin for heterotrophic growth. And when you have simultaneous nitrification and denitrification happening in an anoxic basin, your carbon is being used in a much more efficient way. So all in all, all those advantages combined together really give a great value for MABR retrofits in in A2O plants or other processes. So when you mention value, that brings me to the question of return on investment. What is usually, when you upgrade such a plant, the expected return on investment? If you take together the fact that you have, of course, to, to invest some, some capex to, uh, to revamp it, but you then save on opex because you reduce the, the energy consumption and there's no need for recirculation anymore. Right. So we typically look at an ROI of three, four years compared to other nutrient removal upgrades when we're looking at a biological nutrient removal upgrade, um, other technologies such as MBBR, um, MBRs. Um, and, and the real, I guess, the real advantage here is on the energy side. You get a significant reduction in energy because you are using bubble aceration, you are introducing oxygen in a molecular phase to the wastewater rather than blowing it into the wastewater through fine bubble diffusers or coarse bubble diffusers or surface aerators or whatever else and, and sort of wasting a lot on the inefficiencies of blowers, of, of mass transfer, right? Bubbles sort of venting out the wastewater and not depending on the diffusion from the bubble to the wastewater itself, but introducing oxygen in a molecular phase to a biofilm that's treating the wastewater. Another very big added value that I didn't mention is that MABR adds process resilience to the whole process. You basically have extra nitrifying bacteria that's fixed on a membrane. And we all know that municipal plants have a very uh, high load fluctuation and also flow fluctuation. And uh, this is especially... Uh, um, true for uh, small to medium-sized plants. And you get a very big advantage when using ABR because you have a good, healthy population of nitrifiers inside the membrane or attached to the membrane that really provide you a, a sort of bank of bugs, of nitrifying bacteria and denitrifying bacteria when you have a uh, shock load or a uh, high flow instance. You mentioned... So an ROI of, of three to four years, and you mentioned that um, MABRs are used to make revampings, not only, but that's one of the use. And you touched the comparison to MBRs and MBBRs, which I was addressing at the very beginning of that deep dive. Actually, MBRs are a typical way to revamp a plant. You have your old plant from the 80s, and to me so far, to my understanding and to my knowledge, that was the king of the revamps. Uh, you just take your, your 60s, concrete basins, you add an MBR inside and you're good to go for another 30 years. And now I discovered that there might be a better solution, I guess, to some cases and maybe also not in all cases. But what would be your view on the comparison between MABRs, MBRs, MBBRs? Does that comparison even make sense? And if yes, 
what would be the top advantages of an MBRs uh, over an MB an MBR an ABR over an MBR? I, I'm going to get lost with that. Uh, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> too too many M and Bs and Rs. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, um, first of all, you're right. There are uh, different technologies that fit in different cases, and you really have to look case by case. But of course, I'm going to emphasize the advantages of MABR upon MBRs and MBBRs. So I think the most um, that's fair. <laughs> ob- I, yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think the most uh, the best comparison to do is MABR versus MBR. So although the uh, letters are very uh, similar, the essence of the process is completely different. You don't filter anything out with MABR. You don't have any active mass transfer or any active liquid transfer through the membrane itself. The membrane is there in MABR only to provide oxygen. So when you look at MBRs, you're going to, for a retrofit, you're going to typically need a permeate pump, a backwash pump, chemical cleaning, scouring, recovery cleaning with chemicals, and of course, a regular membrane replacement once every some three to five, uh, maybe seven years or so, but the average is five. So MABR doesn't have any of those needs. There's no active filtering of liquid through the membrane. Membrane is just there, again, to breathe in oxygen. You don't have to rapidly clean or scour or chemically clean the membranes. We like to say that we like them as dirty as possible. <laughs> the, the, the biofilm growing on the membrane is is actually required and wanted, right? It's an important factor. In, it isn't associated with biofouling or transmembrane pressure reduction like in MBRs. And uh, also important that the uh, MABR modules, their lifetime is around 20 years. So there are no moving parts inside and no pressure applied, no chemicals involved. And that's what leads to a very long lifetime of the MABR modules. And that really gives some great advantages and, and operational savings over MBRs. And of course, those advantages don't come without some disadvantages or challenges, as I would say. MBRs don't require a clarifier, of course, and that's um, the most, um, I guess, the, the biggest challenge we, we deal with. But to our luck, and to most of the world's luck, most of the plants out there have clarifiers because they started out as A2O plants. So upgrading with MABR, upgrading an existing A2O plant with existing clarifiers is actually very easy and beneficial. And MABR has also been observed to improve the sludge uh, settleability, the the settling characteristics. So all in all, it makes a lot more sense to use MABR in an upgrade. You can also speak about effluent quality. Of course, MBRs have supreme effluent quality, but there are other solutions for tertiary treatment, of course, uh, ultrafiltration, media filtration, and, and those all are when we weigh, right, MABR versus MBR in our proposals and in, in our uh, retrofit opportunities, we balance all of those into the ROI calculations and, and really adjust our, our offering according to that to provide a great return on investment compared to MBRs. So basically, you have a tick box at the very top of your questionnaire, which is a clarifier existing yes or no. And if the clarifier is already there, then most probably the MABR is going to be a better solution than the MBR, if I get you right. Yes. Uh, you can also look at new plants, right? I guess the biggest challenge is when we look at new plants, not retrofits, because um, Fluence's uh, main focus is 
small decentralized treatment plants. And when you weigh MABR versus MBR, it really sort of narrows down into the life cycle cost analysis and the return on investment and and the energy considerations. So clarifier is, is something that you have to consider when you're looking at MABRs, but the whole I guess package of the offering is something that is eventually uh, um, taken into consideration. So what's the ratio today for you between revamps of existing plants and new plants that you build with MABRs? Well, we strive and we sort of uh, put efforts into every opportunity that comes to our tables. I'd say that we deal with much more. Uh, I don't know the exact ratio, but we deal with much more opportunities for greenfield plants, for new plants, and for small decentralized plants rather than uh, dealing with large revamps. It's a um, company strategy, the decentralized wastewater treatment strategy. And there, the ratio between concrete and containerized solutions is different. It can be a blend of both, but Traditionally, and, and, and as a strategy, Fluence uh, focuses on smart product solutions for decentralized applications, sometimes retrofits too. When you say decentralized applications, I guess that's more on the small to mid-size end of the markets than on the, the, the very big plants, right? Unless that wouldn't make sense to be a decentralized, to, to be honest. So it's kind of the, the answer is in the question. But I'd like to understand here, how easy or how difficult it was to come to the market because we are in a quite conservative industry, right? And you come with an MABR, which, um, as I said from the beginning, might be considered a typo. And what is the kind of proof you have to bring to the table to convince people that MABR is the right treatment, brings loads of benefits before daring coming with that, that new technology? So... um you know, you're the new guy on the block, basically, when you're uh, introducing a new technology to a very conservative world. Having said that, we've put a lot of effort into uh, certifying MABR. I'll give our uh, Stanford system as an example. We, uh, in, back in 2018, we installed a system in Stanford University together with the Kodiga Resource Recovery Research Center. It was a demo system, actually um, a generation back in, in the MABR technology, but we, it was a demo system that uh, was researched by uh, students in Stanford and operated by Stanford, and we also had a process uh, engineer on site. And that research effort actually led the uh, water department of the state to certify MABR as a certified technology to be used in California, and it gave us a Title 22 certification, which really helped us, for instance, in Maryland and New Mexico to be certified locally and in other parts of the world too. So this is really an uh, effort that an, an academic uh, collaboration that was very beneficial to the introduction of MEBR to the market. I'll give another example uh, for the Philippines. We started out, again, some year and a half, two years ago in the Philippines without anyone knowing what MEBR is, just the government wanting to strengthen the uh, wastewater treatment regulation and a very harsh and a very tight discharge limit for ammonia and for phosphorus. And introducing MABR frequently through consultants and to private clients and to uh, some other um, governmental and, and public institutes, we were able to 
reach a point where MABR is a sole technology for some public tenders in the Philippines today. So we've gone quite a way in a year and a half. When you say that you address that decentralized market, that now there's a market acceptance to that even, how does a Fluent solution actually look like? Do you package everything in a container, and which is then plug and play? Do you integrate into larger solutions that can be provided, whether by yourself or by someone else, like another EPC? How, how does that look like? Okay, so first a little bit about decentralized treatment. Okay, The decentralized concept is... Of course, the opposite of centralized treatment and the, in our belief, influences belief, the right way to provide water and to treat wastewater. There are some 4.2 billion people in the world that lack safe sanitation. That's an astonishing number. And what's even more astonishing is that 80% of the global wastewater is being discharged without any treatment at all. So you can imagine most, the majority of that wastewater comes from rural communities, decentralized areas, some countries that aren't just developed enough in terms of a wastewater treatment and have booming population. And what decentralized treatment does is it segments out that treatment concept. Instead of putting a lot of money into infrastructure, which is usually in lack, right, in those countries, instead of putting tons of money down on infrastructure, laying money basically in the ground, right, in terms of piping and pumping stations, and it sometimes is two-thirds of the capex, what decentralized treatment does is it segments out that treatment strategy and allows you to have small plants where they're needed without a lot of infrastructure in the ground with very low operational costs because you aren't putting tons of money into pumping stations and, and collection systems. And the other side of it is that you can reuse the water on a local scale much more easily than you would have done with a centralized treatment plant. So today, everyone, everyone's looking at wastewater reuse and non-potable reuse, and you're basically looking at a centralized plant that you have to duplicate the collection system, right? You have, to, you have to create a distribution system back to those villages or those communities or those end users. And why not save, right, on that piping from starters? And it's not only true for decentralized communities, right? Rural villages. It's also true for cities where you build a new neighborhood and instead of pumping the wastewater over the mountain and to the treatment plant, you can treat it locally and both contribute to the uh, local labor and economy and really have a more sustainable solution. When you mention wastewater reuse, of course, wastewater is, should be the primary source of water because when you think of it, that's just stupid, the, the other way around or the traditional way around. But there are many types of wastewater reuse. So are you here talking about agricultural reuse, non-potable reuse to flush the toilets, to use the gray water or whatever, or even going up to direct potable reuse? Well, the first, I guess, goal would be to treat the water to a degree that you could reach any of those purposes that you just meant, right? Uh, only around 10% of the total reused water in the world is used for potable reuse. So 90% of the reused water is actually used for irrigation purposes, returning to nature, groundwater reclamation, other purposes. And Basically, you have to start out treating the wastewater to a degree that it can be reused. And, and the way to do it is through smaller systems that don't require a huge amount of energy. And here, bringing MBBR into the picture with 
MABR, which is it's it has uh, total nitrogen removal as part of the technology itself, right? It's built in. You don't need to add any cost or any chemicals or any special operational aspects to the process. You just have it built in. And that's what we really thought about uh, when we packaged our products in 20 and 40 foot containers and other auxiliary equipment and other um, containers to really provide you know, a, a plug and play solution to those decentralized customers. So what do you put inside your container? MABRs, you, you said, are, are best if you, are, you put them in front. So you have, I guess, a, a screen or something, then you have the, the, the MABR. And what comes then after it in terms of treatment train? Okay, so depending on the amount of nitrogen removal, you have a different amount of MABR modules in a container. If there's a high degree of nitrogen removal, you have more membranes. The membrane, the MABR section, is always coupled with a activated sludge compartment, a, an aeration compartment, where you just have traditional aeration that goes on-off, a low dissolved oxygen level, and that sort of completes your process in terms of BOD removal and a little bit of uh, extra um, nitrification. After that, what we have inside the container is a clarifier that recirculates the sludge, and the whole system is IFAS configuration. Some um, industrial um, applications of MABR, we have a biofilm-only process, having the uh, a liquid flow through and, and only depending on the biofilm itself to treat the wastewater without any suspended sludge. So that is the process. We have, of course, everything associated to operated plants, such as a electricity room, a, uh, all the dosing pumps, the pumps, the blowers, everything packed nicely uh, inside a container to really provide a plug-and-play solution. Well, plug-and-play is one thing. The other thing is how to operate it, because actually, if it's decentralized, it also means that probably the guys which are next to that plant aren't necessarily the biggest professional of the water treatment. So how easy is it to operate an MABR plant? And you're going to say me, it's easy, I guess, but uh, to which extent... Is it easy? And can you do also remote monitoring, a remote operation, remote control? How does that work? Yeah, so easy, easy, of course, is a relative, uh, <laughs> re relative <laughs> word. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, it do MABR doesn't add anything to your operation. Of course, you have to learn, right, what operating a wastewater treatment plant means in terms of what to pay attention to. And that's all depicted, of course, in the operation and maintenance manual, but it doesn't add any complicated process or complicated uh, parameters to monitor. That, together with the ability of our plants to be remotely controlled and to provide alerts if needed to the operator, and when you add that to the decentralized concept, you understand that um, decentralized wastewater treatment management, right, managing a cluster of plants under one centralized control system makes much more sense because you don't have to recruit and and maintain a uh, large highly skilled crew of operators that basically stays in your centralized treatment plant and really seldom um, deals with um, some malfunctions but you have a small smart team of operators that can maintain upon need right you don't have to visit the plant every day and actually not every week to maintain it. So that makes much more sense in terms of, of operational savings. And 
Another thing that I didn't say about decentralized treatment is that it really minimizes your risk in terms of the severity of an incident. When you have a leak or a, an overflow or an accident in a wastewater treatment plant, you can think, a centralized wastewater treatment plant, you can think of the outcome, right? It, it's, it's huge. You pollute the ocean, you pollute a river, whereas in a small decentralized plant, the outcome is much less detrimental. It's, it's much less severe. You sort of are scattering your risks. And MABR is a great addition or a great thing to have in a decentralized plant because it adds resilience and simultaneous nitrification, denitrification is part of the process to the plant and, and really improves your, uh, I guess, or, or reduces your risk. Actually, Gilad, I have that problem. I have to be a bit cautious of your time and we really made a strong deep dive here. I would have so many more questions because I have the feeling that we, we scratched the surface. It was really interesting, but we still only scratched the surface and there could be so much more hidden below. So maybe we have to think of a follow-up where we go a bit deeper into the matter. But for today, I would have a last question, which now goes back to your marketing. The marketing affluence around the MABR, what I found is that you call it the wastewater technology of the 2020s. And my question here is, what's your vision? Do you think you can take the market by storm and really establish MABR as not only the new kid in town, but, you know, the new big, big, big guy that rules the town? Or is it a very strong niche application for this decentralized treatment or for another couple of niche? What's your take there? Well, okay. So I think the future of MABR is just starting. MABR is increasingly uh, debated in conferences and in exhibitions in the water community. We're, of course, not alone in the game. And I guess the acceptance is getting wider and wider as uh, we, we advance in time. Nutrient removal is actually new to many markets, and, and especially those decentralized markets that, that we just spoke about. But having said that, when we speak about the benefits of MABR and, and what it really gives to the uh, utility or to the client, it's rapidly accepted. And it has a good reason that it's rapidly accepted. It's a great technology. And I think, you know, as a new kid on the block, you're going to always have need someone to be the first friend of that new kid on the block. So many, many markets need that first client to accept. And from there on, it booms. I can give China as a great example, right? We started out in China around two and a half, three years ago and have sold over 200 systems in China in the past 36 months. So they understood it's a great technology. They understood the great potential. And MABR in China is, is booming in general and for influence. What is your, your, your application for that? Is it this uh, rural wastewater treatment in China, which is currently one of the main topics in the, in the country? So in China, we have a combination between greenfield, subra plants, concrete MABR plants, some retrofits, and big chunk or uh, a majority of containerized systems for decentralized clients in small villages. A very interesting process happened in China um, due to the uh, class 1A and grade 4 uh, regulations that came out of the last five-year plan. It basically forced everyone to have the same or 
the same set of uh, wastewater treatment regulations, no matter what the system size or what the uh, community size is. So everyone has to treat nitrogen and phosphorus in the wastewater, and that really drove business for us in China. Well, I guess if I'd like to address wastewater treatment in China, that's also, uh, we need to have one full hour for that. So thanks a lot for all this very interesting value you brought about this MABR topic. I think it's much clearer now, at least in, in my view, so I guess in many of our listeners' view. What I can propose you is to switch to the rapid-fire questions. Yeah, let's go. It's time for the rapid-fire questions. So, you know, in that part, the aim is to keep the answers short and the questions short. So let's try to be um, the good pupils today and not be too long with that section. First question, what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? So that question throws me back to my jolly sales engineer days. Every sales engineer loves to see a project of his getting sold. And my biggest one was definitely a new decentralized plant in Africa for a university. We started out explaining the difference between MABR and MBR and ended <laughs> on selling a completely packaged treatment system for a thousand cubic meters per day, which is currently in the middle of installation. So that was my best one. Can you tell in, in which part of Africa it is? It's in Central Africa. What's your favorite part of your current job? So my favorite part is definitely communicating with our global teams. You get to know different people, cultures, market needs, different conceptions, different challenges. And we have a great team here, uh, Influence. I sometimes call it a corporate startup. There's a startup, I guess, culture in the company where everyone sort of gets out of their skin to work hard for each other. And it's a great feeling to have such a great team beside you when you try hard to promote MABR. How many people do work for Fluence today? Um, we are around 300 uh, people uh, globally, uh, give or take. So that's, yeah, that's the ballpark. So, yeah, it's... Um, Let me maybe refine that number later on. So, <laughs> <laughs> But it's a large startup. It's, yeah. it's a scale-up, let's say. Uh, <laughs> what is the, the trend to watch out in the water industry and you're not allowed to answer MABR? Yes, I expected that. <laughs> I, think the next, I think the next big step for the entire industry is uh, digitalization and, you know, the, the huge amount of data sets that will arrive, right, as an outcome of that digitalization. You're going to have to have advanced data analysis, artificial intelligence in place. I think that will also promote decentralized treatment because we're going to see a significant progress in remote monitoring capabilities, and that will really enable utilities to manage a network of plants in a very efficient and cost-effective way remotely. Is it something you embed already today in what you're doing? Yes. Yes, certainly we can um, provide, as a company, provide very uh, tight engineered products that are managed remotely and uh, sort of give uh, data analysis and, and provide process recommendations right according to the data that we collect. What is the thing you care about the most when you're working on a new project and what's the one you care the least? Okay, so, so here I'm allowed to speak about MABR. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, what I care about the most, I guess, is customer success, meaning a successful solution that meets the needs, the KPIs, and makes the customer come back to Fluence again. I guess I least care about the Via de la Rosa the team has to go through in explaining about MABR each and every time. That's part of the game, 
right? When you're a new technology um, being introduced to the market. <laughs> you know, I, I feel sometimes like that when um, I go to um, a KFC or a Burger King in Europe, which is not as developed as the McDonald's, they always have to explain. Whereas you go to McDonald's, you say, I, I take a Big Mac. Uh, if you go to KFC, they have to tell you what's inside every of their possible offerings. And that's, sorry, a crazy and stupid analogy. But sometimes when you're not yet the McDonald's, you have to explain what's inside. But then you can also tell everyone why it's better than McDonald's. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think we can add Mick Fluence or Mick M A B R to uh, the name of the company in in a few years. We're, let's speak in two years and see where we're uh, standing. In yeah, if you do so, I take the royalties because I was the first to come with the idea. So. <laughs> right, F- food and wastewater together is always a great combination. <laughs> do you have sources to recommend to keep up with the water and wastewater market trends? Yeah, certainly. I like the technical forums, uh, LinkedIn groups, and several uh, websites that give you nice technical insights and collaborations with with professionals in the industry. WEF and IWA newsletters and their associated groups, they give you a regular overview on the industry and the trends, so they're also great. And on the marketing side, uh, GWI and Blue Tech Research Reports, they really complete your knowledge. Interesting. Uh, Sometimes you have people who are Team GWI, some others are Team Blue Tech. Um, <laughs> I <your> both. <laughs> nice. Clever, I guess. <laughs> and last question, would you have someone to recommend that we should definitely invite as soon as possible on that same microphone? Yes, I'd be loyal here. I'd uh, recommend uh, Ronan Schechter, Fluence's CTO and the MFC co-founder. He has really extensive experience and knowledge in the industry and, and lots of cool startup stories. So he's a great guest to have. Good, that's an awesome recommendation. Uh, Gilad, you've been a pleasure to talk with. If people want to follow up with you, where can they contact you or follow up your latest news? Oh, LinkedIn is always the best. I'm happy to chat, connect, and receive new connections with anyone interested. Wonderful, then. Thanks a lot for your time. And uh, I hope that we have the opportunity to check if the, the Mac Fluence is existing in, in a couple of years. <laughs> sure, sure thing, sure thing. Back at ABR. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.